Our scripture reading today is from Galatians 5, starting in verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? The kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning and welcome to Trinity. It's so good to see you. This is uh, just an incredible Sunday. I'm I'm excited. I'm overwhelmed. I'm so grateful to be uh, commissioning new community group leaders and then in a moment, baptizing uh, a young woman. Uh, It is just an incredible joy uh, to do all this together. And if you were at the, the celebration dinner on Wednesday night, you might be like me and just totally overwhelmed with, with all of the goodness and grace of God that we're experiencing right now as a congregation. And, and you wouldn't know it by trying to, to find an empty chair at the celebration dinner, but the, the church in North America is in decline, all right? So the, the church has been in decline for a number of decades, and there are, are researchers and organizations who are asking the question, why? Like whole, people are devoting their entire lives to this question. Why, why are people deconverting or, or deconstructing or just plain old leaving the faith at, at any age? And there are two kind of main theories right now, and, and they can be summarized as beliefs and behavior. So beliefs meaning the, the things that Christians have, have always historically believed, especially in terms of gender and sexuality. These are not super popular right now in secular America. So some people say it's, it's the beliefs of Christianity that's causing people to leave. Others are saying, no, it's actually the behaviors, especially of key leaders. So of, of politicians or, or celebrity pastors who claim Christianity and yet their lives look so different from the teachings of Jesus. Some people say this is why the church is in decline. I found out about a, a study that's been happening. There's, there's a massive, significant study that's been going on this year, and, and it has not been published yet. And so I can't name names or, or identify sources, 
you didn't hear this from me. I still have a few connections in, in sort of the, you know, to people who have influence from an old job of mine. And so I can actually tell you the results of this survey. Like I said, you cannot tell anyone. So bring it in. Let me tell you. The number one reason people are leaving the church in 2022, it's not beliefs, it's not the behavior of key leaders, it's a lack of belonging. It's a simple lack of belonging. So I'll bring it back now. We'll bleep that out of the recording so the evangelical Illuminati don't come after me. It's just simply that people don't feel connected at church. They don't feel known. They don't feel loved. There are, there are relationships, but they are not significant. And so people are, are simply drifting away from the fellowship of faith. And I think we should be, should be concerned if people are leaving the faith over core beliefs or, or over the, the behavior of key, key leaders. But I think this should, should absolutely crush us. I mean, this, this really, really matters. It says that people aren't, aren't so much leaving because of, of the beliefs and, and things like that and, or, or the, the extraordinary, you know, kind of upfront, powerful leaders of, of Christianity, whoever they are. They're, they're leaving because of ordinary, everyday believers who are simply not very kind and loving. Now, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here because you all, as I've said many times, are the most wonderful, loving, life-giving, I mean, full of the fruits of the Holy Spirit kind of church. And yet, if you're, you're new here or you're, you're just going deeper with us as a church, I, I hope you see this morning that the depth of the roots of our sense of community and belonging here at Trinity why this matters to us absolutely so, so much. And I'm, I'm convinced that what people need, what our world needs most right now, it's not brilliant apologetics or savvy cultural analysis or dazzling preaching and music. It's simply kind and loving believers. And so we've been in Galatians for, I think, 10 weeks now, and we're moving into the final section of the book. We've seen a heavy section on grace. We've moved into a thick section on freedom. And now freedom is going to move into the final mega theme, which is love. A transition from freedom to love. And so there's really just two questions I want to cover this morning from this text. What is true freedom? And then what is true freedom for? And the answer, a little spoiler alert, true freedom is for love, that we would love one another. And so this is a message about freedom giving way that we might love one another. So we'll pick it up in verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. And so our, our old friend Paul, what he's been doing throughout this book of Galatians, this letter that he's writing to the churches, he's expressing his concern that these, these young believers are falling away from grace. There are these, these false teachers, these agitators who are preaching a, a different gospel to them, saying, 
Grace is is fine as long as you add obedience to it. So you're not fully saved. You're not fully incorporated into the children of God unless you follow all of the Hebrew customs, including for the men's circumcision. And so that's what the false teachers have been promoting. And, And Paul is like using every last ounce of his energy to compel them, no, hang on to grace and grace alone. Live by faith and faith alone. And in verse 7, he says, you were running a good race who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth. Now, that's a, that's a really interesting and significant statement. He's saying those, those false teachers and those that are following them are actually disobeying the truth. So the people that are, that are most consumed with following every little letter of the Old Testament law, those that, that their primary relationship to God is one of obedience they're actually disobeying the truth. So true obedience is actually simply receiving the grace of God. To obey the law for your salvation is the most significant act of disobedience you can commit. In their quest for for religious obedience, they've rejected the core truth of Christianity, which is our desperate need for Christ. They put themselves at the center of salvation. It's a self-oriented salvation. And so Christ is just sort of a little add-on. It's an enormous mistake. And Jesus said in John 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so this brings up a, a really important question, something that we've looked at before, but now it's, it's front and center. And the question is, if our good deeds don't contribute to our salvation at all, then what's the incentive to do good deeds at all? Right? Or, or if we don't have to be good and loving people, then why would we become good and loving people? Now, this question assumes that if you, if you give a person total freedom, it's just a matter of time before they abuse it. I mean, you can think of every uprising in, in world history. I mean, you know, there's, there's a, a brutal, harsh dictator. The people rise up and overthrow the dictator. The people celebrate their liberation and, and choose from among them some people to install as, as leaders. And then a few years later, they become the brutish and, you know, horrible dictators, and then they're overthrown again. But... All of these things are rooted in the same fatal flaw that people are essentially good. That if you just set the right rules and limits for people, then then society will flourish. And I'm all for the right rules and limits and for the flourishing of society. But all the best plans are undermined by people being people. And so what what Paul has been trying to say is that there there is a true freedom in the world. You can't have true and complete freedom, but it's only in Christ, only by receiving Christ through faith. He says this in verse 5, For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. And so Paul is, is giving us two options again, which he's done over and over throughout Galatians. This time he's saying one option is, is disobeying the truth and falling away from grace. Or verse 5 through the Spirit, eagerly awaiting by faith the righteousness that we hope for. And this has been the message of Galatians, week after week after week after week, that God accepts you not on the basis of your own goodness, but on the basis of His. That He's not accepting you because you've gotten your life together, cleaned it up, pulled yourself up, 
but rather he's chosen you to, to immerse you in his love in a way that demonstrates his grace and mercy. We, we add nothing to our salvation except a simple receiving of it. And in the very end, we receive what we now have in part, which is the righteousness for which we hope for. And so in the end, we do receive this righteousness, this complete holiness that we're longing for and that we're working toward here and now. But in the meantime, too, we are free. We are free because we are loved. That's the connection that Paul's trying to make, that we are loved by God, not because we've cleaned ourselves up again, but because he's transforming us by his spirit, because he has just simply set his love on us. And it turns out that this is actually the best motivation for, for sustaining a, a good and a beautiful life. So fear is, is not the best motivation for creating wonderful, beautiful people, believe it or not. And shame is not the best motivation for creating transformed people, compelling lives people. The greatest motivation for goodness is true freedom in Christ. Receiving this true self-giving love of the Father we can finally be ourselves. You know, like we can finally accept our limits and our limps. We can be the imperfect, stumbling, free people that we are. It's because we are so immensely and completely loved as we are by the Father that we are set free. When that is true and complete freedom. It means we no longer have to serve our greedy interests or, or feed the old false gods of success and status and comfort and control. We are actually set free from all those things. There's one scholar that, that writes freedom, and I love this. This is sort of a turn here. He says, freedom is not a thing in itself. The word opportunity in early Greek language was used to designate a point from which you launch a military attack. Given this launching place, how will you use your freedom? And so, as I said, we have this enormous, unbelievable, unlimited freedom in Christ. It's been given to us, and it won't be taken away. And yet this freedom is not really a thing in itself. It's an opportunity. And so that's the, the second big thing. What is freedom for? And Paul's going to say it right in verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So he's saying you have been set free. Remain free. Remain free. And how are you to, to use your freedom? He's simply saying don't do it for yourself. Your freedom is not for you. Your freedom is for others. He says the acts of the flesh are obvious in the following verses. Immorality, hatred, conflict, jealousy, rage, selfish ambition. He's saying this is not what your freedom is for. This is not what true freedom creates. And so what freedom is for is to serve one another humbly in love. And so we get in this passage two of the strongest commands in, in all of Galatians, and they're to serve one another humbly in love, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, Jesus himself affirmed that the entire law comes down to two commandments, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. This is sometimes called the Jesus Creed. It's all of Christian doctrine in the two things, love God 
and love others. In the New Testament, we know two big things about love. And the first one we've actually already looked at in our call to worship, which is that love comes from God. It says in 1 John, that let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not know love does not know God because God is love. And so this is to say that God is love and defines love. So we don't ask what is love and then ask if that's true of God, but we're either we look at the person and character and the actions of God and we know that that is love and we measure all other human love according to the love of God. And so that's the first thing. And then the second thing is that love becomes for us a distinct choice and an action. Love is not primarily about feelings in a biblical sense. It's not a a vague virtue, but rather it's a set of actions that correspond to God's character and goodness. It's, It's aligning our treatment of others with the way God treats others. And Paul wrote in Romans 12, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. These are are all action statements. These are things that we do as we love other people. And so we put these two things together to understand that our call to love is a call to live as God lives and treat others as he treats them. And so God is faithful and thus we are to love others faithfully. He is patient and so we love each other with patience. He is joyful, and so we love others joyfully. God welcomes us to himself, and so we welcome others in hospitable love. And then my favorite passage on this connection between God's character and love, again, we've done this one already as well, it's 1 Corinthians 13. Now, 1 Corinthians 13 is one of the most well-known Christian passages, and so we can hear it, and and we kind of We know the words that are coming, and so it's so easy to miss the power of what's written. But you know why Paul personifies love? You know, he says, love is this, love does that. I believe it's because Paul has a very specific person in mind. He's saying love is patient, love is kind, because Jesus is patient and Jesus is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, Because Jesus does not envy. Jesus doesn't boast. Jesus isn't prideful. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. No one is more patient and forgiving than Jesus. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. That is Jesus for you. That is Jesus' relationship toward you. And so love is from God. It's a specific set of actions, and no one has demonstrated that better than Jesus. And because he's one with the Father, it's safe to say that Jesus is love. Whoever knows Jesus knows love. Whoever doesn't know love doesn't know Jesus. This is what our freedom is for. It's that we would love one another as God has loved us. And in fact, my My favorite verse here is verse 6, which I skipped over already because I wanted to save it for maximum impact right now. Here's verse 6. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. 
I mean, anytime somebody says, the one thing that matters most to me, don't you kind of like pay attention a little bit more? And if like St. Paul, who's like the founder of the whole institution of Christianity says, this matters the most, what is it he's going to say? Is it justification by faith? Is it promoting obedience? He says, faith expressing itself through love. And that word expressing, it's interesting. In, in the Greek, it's actually interhumane. And the root is interyeo, or, or it's a soft G, so it's energeo if you're kind of, you know, first semester Greek. But it, it's where we get the word energy. So another way you could rightfully translate it is the only thing that matters is faith energizing love. Our faith in Christ energizes our love for one another. It gives it the power. It gives it the life source. It gives it the nutrients that it needs, the beauty that it has. And the, the verse before, Paul has just written that all of this is through the Spirit. And so he's still thinking of the Holy Spirit here. His, his role in bringing us into a vibrant faith that is energizing the love that pours out for other people. And so, so much of Galatians has been building to this moment and Paul's saying, love one another with the humility and the gentleness of Jesus. Love one another with the energizing power of the Holy Spirit. Love one another with the abundant, gracious tenderness of the Father. This is what he's calling us to. So a few, a few points of application and then, and then a conclusion. The first one is simply to love each other by knowing each other and by spending time together. You know, it's genuinely hard to love someone if you, if you don't know them. We're growing as a church, and I, I really want us to stay focused on the relational component of things here. We're not just a Sunday gathering. We're not a service organization. We're not a theology club. We're a family. And first and foremost, we are a family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. God is our Father. And it's why we, we talk so much about community groups. It's why Mark goes red in the face every time he's talking about community groups. We're straining to, to compel you with the beauty and the power of community groups. And that's because you can come to church. You can go to Bible studies. You can serve with a, an organization. You can do all of these things and still not be known. Still not really be in relationship with other people. And you'll miss the transformative work of the Spirit that comes in relationship. It's because you exist to know and to be known, both by God and others. And so in, in community group and in church in general, we bring our real, messy, vulnerable, you know, kind of quirky, goofy selves to one another. And hopefully not just for a couple hours a week, but as a, as a way of life a way that we connect and interact with one another on a, on a deep level. And so that's number one, just simply knowing each other and spending time together. The second application is to love each other by, by making space for the other. Hospitality is this distinctly Christian practice where we are making space for people to move from, from the fringes and the margins into the center of things. Now, it's true Christian hospitality. It's not, it's not entertaining. It's not putting out the right snacks. It's not making sure your house looks just right when people come over. Hospitality can take so many forms because it's helping somebody move from the outside to the inside. Often it means giving up some kind of space in ourselves to let others find a space for themselves. 
It could look like just talking to somebody you haven't met before here after the service or asking somebody to coffee or lunch or inviting them to your community group. But it's, a, it's an intentional act of making space for other people, which means you first need to make space in your own heart and in your own schedule to do that. Now, Eugene Peterson, one of my favorite authors, he makes a connection between freedom, love, and hospitality. He says, love is the free act supreme. It directs our best intentions and our best abilities to the other. It marshals our best energies into companionship and friendship with a person whom God has singled out for love. The act is not controlled by feelings or circumstances, by prejudices or customs. We are free to love the person who is presented as an enemy, the person who is designated as insignificant, the person who apparently has nothing of interest or worth to me, the person who insists on making himself unpleasant to me. It is a great freedom to love. It means the freedom to be myself uniquely, totally, and affirmatively with this other. And so hospitality is love making space for one another. Here's the final thing. It's to love each other by remaining rooted in Christ together. We, again, don't want to just be a social club. We don't want to be a people that have come together based on our, our similar interests or similar backgrounds or really any kind of sameness whatsoever. We want the thing that connects us to be Christ. And we want to be a truly spiritual community, not, not just social or hanging out or watching sports, although that's, that's all part of, of just being in community together. But we, want to, we also want to press in or press through that. Ask how each other is, is really doing. Get to know one another so that we can ask relevant questions and pray for them in significant ways. And so I'll close with this illustration. I just learned this a few weeks ago, that, that the single largest biological organism in the world, I would have guessed like blue whale. Nobody doesn't love blue whales. It's not a blue whale. But rather, it's a system of, of aspen trees in Utah. Now, when you look at an aspen tree, this is what I didn't know. I just see a, a single aspen tree, but a single aspen tree does not exist. There is no such thing as a lone aspen tree. Because aspen trees are connected underneath the surface and they share a system of roots. And so each tree that comes up from the surface is actually just one you know, sprout off of the underground system of roots. And so it's incredible. And, and there's, in Utah, it's a network of aspens that spans 106 acres and it's just one organism. I mean, each tree that comes up from the surface looks a little bit different. It's unique and yet it is vitally connected to every other tree in this organism. This organism can even communicate underground. You've maybe heard this in The, the Secret Life of Trees. It's a, it's a book. Maybe you haven't read the book. You can tell what I get excited about. Listen to this, though. This is real. These trees can communicate underground so that if one tree is struggling, is sick, is hit by lightning, the other trees, it sends out a signal, and then the other trees give nutrients from themselves. They get a little bit less healthy so that they can restore the struggling tree. They literally share nutrients for the good of the other. And that, that is the church. 
I mean, we are a single organism. We, we come up from the ground looking all sorts of different, being unique. We don't lose any of our personality. Rather, our personality actually comes into fullness in Christ. And yet we are truly one beneath the surface. We are intimately and vitally connected with the, the same root, which is Jesus Christ. The same nutrient system, which is, which is the Holy Spirit energizing our love for one another. I think it's part of why Jesus says in John 15, Abide in me, you are the branches, I am the vine. If you remain connected to me, you will live. If you disconnect from me, you will soon die. See, God, our our loving Father, has, has designed us for this. That we wouldn't just be individuals, but that we would be connected persons in community. And we are permanently connected to one another, rooted in Christ. I mean, this is, we have a phenomenal freedom in Christ. I mean, the the love that is showered on us from the Father means that we are absolutely set free, and yet that freedom is still an opportunity. It's an opportunity to love, to serve humbly, to bless others, knowing that your own needs will be met by the Father So now we have the freedom to turn outward and love and serve and bless other people. True freedom energizes Christ-like love. And so that's why we can say this matters above all else. Love each other as the Father has loved you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we praise you for who you are, that you would come into our world, that you would make space for us where there was no hope, that we who are the ultimate outsiders and and on the fringe people, no hope of salvation on our own, you actually came into our world for us, lived a perfect life and so fulfilling that righteous requirement of the law that Romans 8 talks about dying a death on the cross, which was in our place as an atoning sacrifice, and then rising to new life because death cannot keep a hold on you. And in doing so, you join us to you permanently, vitally, so that you being risen, Lord, means that we are risen as well. And so, Father God, we thank you again and again and again and again for your love for us. We don't deserve it, but we will take it. Thank you, Father. If we only knew a fraction of your love for us, if we could only live into a little bit of that love, Lord, everything would change. And so, Father, I pray for those who are disconnected from your love, whether by not following you or or just feeling disconnected, not, not sensing your love for you. I pray that you would draw them to you even now. For those who are, who are downcast or anxious or just overwhelmed in some way. For those who are, who are lonely and, and out on the fringes or beyond. Father, remind them that you are a gracious and loving God. And you draw us together. You give us a place to belong together. And Holy Spirit, would you continue to energize our love for one another? Would you protect us from the schemes of the enemy? Would you protect us from disunity and division? Lord God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, would you pour out more and more and more of your love on us? 
so we might overflow in love for one another. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.